news, folks. Michael Zuber, One Rental at a Time. I just want to let you know that we have finally released our second book, 15 Conversations with Real Estate Millionaires. This book was written with you in mind. I wanted to capture 15 unique stories of different investors starting at different stages and doing different things. This book is just that. It's nearly 300 pages of motivation, of confirmation, and reminders that yes, you too can do this thing. Check it out on Amazon, and of course, have a great day. So it looks like we have comments already on the YouTube, uh, on the channel. That's good. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good morning. This is our first time doing this, so we're trying to figure out. We think we think right now that Dion and I are in sync, and Matt is late or delayed. It's way delayed, is what Matt is saying. Well, that makes it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Why don't we take that question yesterday that we got that I sent both of you? Oh, let me pull that up again. Basically, we got a question yesterday to start us off. Uh, basically saying that three of you are talking about deflation coming. And what can you do? Obviously, we've talked about having increased cash reserves so that we kind of heads we win, tails tails we win. Uh, but they were asking, what else could you do be besides having cash? Dion, have you given any uh, thoughts to that question? So I relate it to the way I run a business. And a lot of business owners are usually concerned when there's an election year coming up and they think if the election goes this way, these are the rules that are going to hit us. And if it goes this way, and they, the perception is one side is business friendly, one side is not. The business owner's job is to have a strategy for whoever gets into office. Right. The investor's job is to have a strategy for whether there is inflation, deflation, whether there's appreciation, whether there's a correction, a crash. Like We should be strategizing at least to know what our, our main objective would be. Mm -hmm. Is it protect assets? Is it go into growth mode? Is it shop while things are on sale? So for deflation, I'm getting on board with the have cash ready. I, I think that deals are going to come up that we can't, we'll never know the reason why someone sells. I think in a, in a good market, we never know the reason why somebody sells. So that's why I'm doing the cash out refinance that you guys talked me into, having that money added to my savings that I already had. Because I, I think most of us our age haven't really experienced a strong deflation period mm -hmm. before. So when we do, it's going to be good to have money ready. Yeah. So it looks like Matt just sent us a text. He's going to turn off his camera. I'm not sure why, but that's okay. He's <laughs> probably changing, putting yeah, on probably, pants. Yeah, yeah, he's putting on pants. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for turning off the camera, Matt. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that is absolutely right. So I don't want people to take our conversations about deflation like we expect that to be coming. We're just ready for it just in case. I, at least in my opinion, it's kind of, I think I said on one of our episodes, this is kind of 80-20. You know, I think inflation is going to be around longer and that's the main thing, but I've got to prepare for the other side, right? So um, it's not like I'm just sitting here waiting for deflation and doing nothing. It's... it's um, so we'll get to we'll get to part two in a second. The other thing I want to say about deflation is kind of heads I win, tails I win, is I purposely went ahead. Prepare for the other side. 
Oh, I can hear myself. That's kind of weird. <laughs> what is Matt doing? But anyways, um, I was getting my debt structures right. I was trying to take interest rate risk off. Now, some people might be saying, hey, if you go deflationary, won't, won't rates go down? Well, possibly. And if they go down, who says I can't refi again? Right? That's the beauty of, of real estate is I can lock in money now. So if inflation takes over and rates go up, I'm good. But if rates go down, if they get cut in half, who says I can't refi again? I'll, I'll pay the you know two, three, four thousand dollars and refi again. So, um, right, that was my thought for deflation too. Was I mean we? I agree. You don't think deflation is going to happen? We actually have a bet where you think it's yeah. not going to happen, and I, I think it is. And and I have a couple of reasons. But <clears throat> if deflation happens and they have to try to keep the market going, that's where the Fed would lower rates. Mm -hmm. So having cash on the side. It sounds like it doesn't make sense because you can. You, that's when you would pull cash out if rates are lower. But if I have cash on the side, that is a bigger down payment for properties that I can purchase at a lower interest rate, giving me more buying power exactly. in that market. Um, or if there's inflation and some people are buying assets now that they can't handle in a couple of years because they were counting on that hockey stick rent growth continuing, which yeah. we have no guarantee that it's going to, yeah. um, then we're going to be in position to take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So part two of this, I really want to hit on. Basically, this the second part of this question is, hey, I bought a couple of deals. I used some of my cash, but not all. I still have a healthy check, a chunk left. Um, should I just wait? And this is, this is always my concern when I tell people what I'm doing in my business, right? People are, people are looking at, at, at Zuber saying, hey, he's, he's excited about potentially deflation and really pain in apartments. That's where I've seen think pain is coming. In, in its years, right? I'm, I'm looking around corners at this point. Uh, I still want everybody to, to know that I'm still doing great deals, right? It is always a great day to do great deals. So if you do the work, you find average, and then you, you know, if average is eight and you find an 11, do the deal, right? Matt talks about, I think the lowest deal he's done recently is 20%, which is nuts in his market. You would always do a 20. So um, I don't know what you think about that one. So my goal right now is to, I have money sitting and I've saved money and I'm taking out the home equity line of credit. My goal is actually, and I've said this on a couple of videos, is to my, my next property, I want to cost more than a million dollars. I want to put my money where my mouth is. I've, I've said several times, I wish my deals cost more as long as the yield scaled with it. Yeah. So I'm saving up that money. And this is something all investors struggle with is as we're saving that money. And that is the goal. I'm still looking for deals. Mm -hmm. Last week in the Bigger Pockets um, boot camp um, live session as a training assistant, I looked at a deal. I said, let me pull up one of the emails from one of my agents, and we're going to look at this deal together. And I look at so many deals that just don't work that I expected to have a training session to be like, hey, here's here's what it is. Here's what the listing agent says. Here's why that's ridiculous. This is yeah. where I know the areas. Mm -hmm. I looked at a triplex that had a 19% return, and on the live um, training session, I pick up my phone and, and compose a message to my agent saying, Hey, I want to make an asking price offer with, you know, this much earnest money, because my goal is to buy that more expensive property. But when you find a good deal, you jump on it. And then I made the offer it, uh, somebody, cause it's such a good deal. Somebody overbid me. So I'm in second position. So I've submitted my yeah. uh, letter with my agent saying, let the seller know, that you know, congratulations. But if that falls through because of funding, they pull out whatever reason, my offer still stands. 
Yeah. And what I would tell you to do what, again, what I, this is how I bought most of my properties in 2010, 11, as I was second, right. There was always somebody who would overpay. I would follow up every two weeks. I just, it would be on my calendar every Monday or every Friday or whatever. And just, you know, never relied on being in second position. It's often, you know, who follows up wins. Uh, yeah, I'm about 50%, literally almost half of my properties I got in second position. Oh yeah. There you so. go. Looks like uh, we got a text from Matt saying he, we are, he is suffering from a 20-second delay. Uh, he is telling us to keep rolling. Uh, the only thing we could do is stop live streaming. So uh, we, we'll at least keep going for a little while, see if we can make this work. If not, um, yeah. We'll in the future, we'll just call Matt the host. Yeah. <laughs> He'll set these up. Yeah, we're trying. We tried to do something new. All right, let's pull up the group. Just text me when you want to wrap up the last. So basically, it's just going to be Dion and I talking, it looks like. That's okay. All right. Uh, what, so again, folks, we can see your questions. At least I can on my phone. Have you seen it? Or Dion, do you have any questions that you had? Yeah, let me let me go through the list here. Happy Thanksgiving. Good morning. I want to thank everybody for waking up this morning and turning this yeah. on. We appreciate it. We're trying out new tech, and, and hopefully we can get to some questions here. Um. I hope Matt's daughter's doing well too. Hopefully he hears yeah. this. Yeah. So me too. Thanksgiving. What's a way to start your Thanksgiving day with the three amigos? Thank you. Yeah, Happy right. Thanksgiving, Cody. Good morning. Reached out <laughs> to Matt, the mortgage guy, yesterday, and unfortunately, they don't do mortgages in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do four, three, two, one, but with low down conventional because pricing is better for you. Yeah, so the Matt, the mortgage guy, uh, he's, he's uh, I think he's 42 states that he can do in because he used to be California only. Now 42, his intention is to do 50, but he will absolutely get you connected with somebody in Virginia. I spoke with him yesterday about that topic. Our, my hope is he's licensed in all 50 states, probably by Valentine's Day, um, but that's where that's going. And then there's a question from Retrainer. Does anyone know if you can go from a single family up to a triplex or quad in the same market with low down conventional or other loan program? So I'll answer from my limited experience and then Mike can correct me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's FHA and VA that sometimes lenders will kind of limit you. They want you moving towards a single family or a larger single family. With conventional loans, that's not a, a question. I've never been asked, what are you moving from until I went from a duplex to a fourplex with a conventional with a lower, you know, most lenders running 25% down. I did 20% down because I wanted um, some equity, but they would have done a lower down payment, even though sure. I was moving to a fourplex. So yes. Yeah. The, the only, the, where the four, three, two, one breaks down is kind of when you try to do low down owner off loans to your point, right? Uh, if you're doing an investment loan, doesn't matter. Never been a question. Um, you can bounce around. Yeah. It does, so, so that was what I was saying, Mike, and that way maybe you yeah. can clear it up. Even so, it was FHA and VA that they told me that they had some restrictions. If I was doing an owner-occupied but conventional, no they didn't care. But they don't so, care. So, okay. okay. Right. Good, man. Still watching. Yep. Los dos amigos. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Bienvenidos. Yep. There you go. Matt downloads Zoom app on his phone. Maybe. Maybe. That might work. Don't know. Matt, get busy. <laughs> <laughs> know thyself first. I am struggling to find the right rent prices to list. The MLS comps professed by my agent are much lesser than the ones I find on Zillow. So um, 
we've talked about this a few times. I have a video on my channel called Setting Rents in a Hot Market. And there's really two, two different formats for finding rent. One is the way that works when, when uh, rents are going up slowly, like 5% a year. Mm -hmm. And that's going to uh, services that use historical data like Rentometer or calling the housing authority. And I did get some news recently that Rentometer is basing it on the last three months instead of the last 12 months because they realized they were starting to fall behind. Yep. And I went and verified that one of the rents I looked at about a month ago where they were $400 light on is about right now. So maybe they're catching up. Yeah. I go to apartments.com and Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace to check currently today if I was trying to rent that size unit in that area, what are the rents? Um, Zillow might be one I, I just haven't used yet. Um, so hopefully that can help use those sources to see what your rent should be. Yeah, for me, the answer is stop relying on apps. I mean, it, it, we, we, if, we, if we get too, I don't, I, I want to, I don't want to say lazy, but I can't think of a better word yet. I don't have enough coffee. Um, it, 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 we become Zillow, right? What did Zillow do wrong? It relied on its algorithm too much. It didn't have the human touch. Pick up the phone and call a property manager. Try to rent your unit in your market and see what rent is, right? You have a two bed and one bath, go try to rent one. Go to Craigslist, go to, go to an active listing. Most of us invest in markets where there are other activities. Nobody I know of is investing in such a small town where you are the only option. Pick up the phone and talk to someone. Stop relying on applications. This whole, this whole, Again, and I sold big data and artificial intelligence and all this other stuff. Stop it. This is a people business. Call somebody. That's my answer. I like that. I always forget the property management route because I, I self-manage, but that is one I need to start using. Um, I'm definitely going to be using a property manager someday. Yes, someday. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> but not today. <laughs> um, we're missing Matt. Yeah. I am too. I am too, yes. Okay. Can I tell you, so from Eli, Dion, can you tell us more about your desire to scale up with more expensive rentals? What does the math look like? So the simplest math is if I'm spending $100,000 to purchase a property and I get a 10% return, I'm adding a $10,000 income net to my, my income next year. Mm -hmm. If I buy a property that I pay $200,000 down on, I'm adding 20%. But also what I've realized is the more expensive properties I'm looking at, the yield is above 10%. I was looking at 10% duplexes for the last four or five years and uh, even bought one this year. And it, it basically just breaks 10%. November of 2020, I purchased a triplex that I paid more for. And I'm used to paying 150,000 a unit. I paid 175,000 a unit for it. And the return is 17%. So it's a more expensive property with a bigger return. So if I can find a more expensive property where my down payment is hundreds of thousands of dollars, because I'm using equity, I'm recycling capital, and I've got my savings from the income snowball. If I can find over a million and get better than a 10% return, I'm adding, um, what, you know, if it's $250,000 down, I'm adding $25,000 with, with my, my smallest return that I'm expecting. And I'm expecting the return to be better. So that's why I want to scale up. Well, here's 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 my answer, right? What do I talk about in my 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 spreadsheet? The, the answer is on the far right column, and it's it's yield. Yield. You should yeah. always buy the highest yield. And in different markets, sometimes here's the deal: Grant Cardone, 
you're right in, in Dion's market. Bigger is better. Now, what does that mean? It means he gets a higher yield on his money. If you could put 100 grand down and make 10% and you have the option to put 250K down and make 15%, 15% bigger. Put it, I mean, if you have the option and you have the capital, obviously you have to be able to sign the deal. But, but it is really, really that simple. And I do right. everything. Sorry, I follow the yield too. I, that that triplex I was looking at during that live session the other day wasn't a bigger deal. Yeah, but the yield was so high. It did the, the size doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to say, I've been saying the whole time. I wish my properties cost more and the yield scaled. So yeah, so that it's factual. I'm actually trying because the hardest part as an investor is, as you're saving, deals will come up. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that if if, if it's a good deal, I'll look at it. If it's a great deal, I'm going to jump on it. Yeah, and then. Push down the road the, the larger deal. Yeah. So it's always about yield, folks. We 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 have plans, we have visions. What makes all three of us unique is we we tell people what we're doing, what we also tell people what we plan to do, but things change, right? Um, and, and I actually have a question for you before we go to the next one. You brought up something, I think two weeks ago. I don't know where it went, so I wanted to ask. There was a six property duplex seller financing. What's going on there? Yes. So I believe that's going to be a courtship. It's, it's, a, it's an owner in his 80s that's looking to find a way out. Ah, and, got it. So and so I'm, I've just started the conversation of, you know, hey, before you put it on the MLS, here's how a seller financing would, would look. And okay. so I think it's going to be a several month, um, hopefully sooner yeah. uh, thing. And I will definitely keep you updated on that because I'm, I'm excited. It's in a new market. I don't yeah. want to say where because everybody will look out for anybody who owns duplexes and you know, yeah, have more fun. competition. No, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, so let's talk about it because again, the, the part of doing all of this is once you do your buy box, you get going. You, it's amazing what it's like. What you focus on, you see, and it's amazing how deals could be attracted to you, right? So let's talk about seller financing, right? What, what makes this thing unique? Again, I'm just going to guess based. Oh, look at that, the lumberjack. Can we hear him? You can, can't you? Oh, look at in that time one. too. We're in sync now. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Ninth grade dropout makes it happen. <laughs> Welcome back. So we're talking about seller financing. Uh, yes, just sir. To catch up. Okay. Oh, this is oh, this is awesome. So, we so are in the future, this is perfect. We should do it exactly like this. And the original thing that is carrying the bandwidth, you can put up the image of the three amigos. Oh yeah, just just put it as the background. Yep. Consider it done guys are awesome. All right. So now I feel so much better. I feel complete. Yes. The whole point of this morning was Matt spent this whole week figuring out how to get this to happen. You guys are awesome. Yeah. So, there, so, so seller financing, because again, you can find an owner that's owned it for a long time. I've told people I'm actually doing marketing, right? I'm spending a thousand bucks a month. I'm using PropStream uh, to generate a list. I'm marketing directly to owners that own more than 10 years. You happen to stumble across somebody who, how long have they owned it? He, you know, he's they're all paid off he's in his 80s so it's so let's decades. call it let's call it yeah let's call it 20 20 30 years he's now tired right one it's actually funny this one of the stories in my book was about somebody in their 70s selling them off uh and doing seller carry and I, how did how did it stumble across your path how did how did how did the warm lead come about so i'm networking in a new area because we're putting in a truck driving school campus so anybody who follows my content you don't know where i'm shopping and I was talking to the agent and I just share everything you do. I actually told the agent, um, he has rentals and he self-manages and he property manages for other people. And there's some weird rule in Idaho where 
if you have more than a certain number of rentals, you have to have a real estate license. Didn't know that. Don't know if it's true. Just that's what I got out of the conversation. So I'd have to verify that. But um, letting everybody know what you're doing is how that happened. He came back and said, I know a guy. I know and then a I guy. Said, Great. Yeah. Here's my email. This is what my email looks like. I sent off the email with, you can keep getting payments. You don't have to get a big capital gains hit. Uh, you carry the note that you can sell. It, like went through the whole thing. Yeah. And so that's where we're at now. We're setting up time oh, to talk. Sorry. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Uh, let's bring back the lumber. Lumberjack, you were, you tried to do some seller finance deals this last six months, I think, right? Yeah. I sucked at it. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> tell everybody why so um yeah like the the biggest issue that i had in doing those seller financing deals was a like i think so a the agent couldn't convey anything yeah you were you were you were playing hopscotch or telephone I got, exactly right? i got i got boxed i got boxed out she's like no you know i'll just i'll just interface with them i was like listen you're gonna get paid that's yeah. not the problem like right. we'll make sure you get paid and everything that was conveyed, then I paid to set up a CPA appointment for the tenant or for the owner, because they had these two buildings right next to each other. And they didn't actually have an accountant. They had always done their own accounting. Work. Oh, okay. So I said, so they're like, well, we're not even really sure how this works. And so I wrote out a nice long email and it was, it was beautifully crafted in my own opinion, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly then, effective yeah, 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 clearly. yeah exactly so uh yeah so i will not be giving advice on how best to shave either um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. don't know, know how 20 yeah, years ex- don't know how. exactly so we put everything together for these folks and then i paid for the cpa appointment that was 280 bucks for them yeah. to go in and sit with the cpa cpa then spent some time with them and then i called the cpa she's like well you know i can't share a ton i was like, yeah totally understand totally get it and I said, well, you did bring up the fact that they basically have an asset. The note is an asset. Yeah. She's like, you know, I never thought of that. And I'm like, oh, freaking, this is not. That's, that's why you, I hand walked them through. I'd like, here's the email with all the points I want to touch on. Yeah. Like, and, and that was a crazy thing is, so I did that with the agent. Right. But I, the problem was, so, so everyone should learn from my mistake. You need to be talking to the people who own it. You can't be, even though I set that up for the CPA, I never talked to them. Even though I set up everything and gave everything to the, uh, to the real estate broker, didn't get, I mean, it literally, that was why I lost that deal. Now, at the end of the day, I got a much better deal six weeks later, eight weeks later, but that one still hurts. And I still will have to drive past that property about three times a week, which really totally completely bums me out. <laughs> the huge. I, I love that. I love that. But do you, but Mike, you and I have talked about it kind of off camera before, yeah. which is we think that the next biggest wave of deals mm-hmm. is going to be seller financing and sub two deals. That's going to be the next, that's the whole next market that's coming. Mm-hmm. And so in truthfulness, I am busting tail trying to make sure that I have good processes in place for the next time I find that deal. And know right up front that if the broker isn't willing to introduce me to them, then I'm just going to walk. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because I'm going to lose. Yeah. Every seller. So I've done 15, maybe. That's crazy. Somewhere between 15 and 20 seller finance deals. Some short term for me, short term, just so everybody knows is five years. I always try for 30 years, right? That's my standard offer. I've done, I've done more than half at 30 years. The other half are kind of 10 and five years, right? Five yep. years make me really nervous unless it's a house. 
Yeah, agreed. Just because five years goes by so fast, right? Dion's yeah. famous saying, you're going to be alive in five years. There's nothing. Yep. I, the first five-year deal I did was on an apartment building. Boy, that was Boy. stressful. Yeah, like 18 yeah. units, bad condition. It took three years to kind of recycle the tenants. I'm like, that five-year cliff is coming. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. yeah better be, thank God rates went down. But yeah, it's, it's something to watch. I, would, I don't think I would do it. I'll say it again. I would not do it. I was just going to say that deal today. Year. I would yeah. do it five years, 10-year minimum. 10-year minimum. Yep. So to, to help anybody who's watching the video this far in with the tech issues that we've had, I'd like to say thank you. If you would like a copy of my email that I submit with my offer, I'm going to put my email in the chat, email me, and I will send you a copy of what I do. There you go. I like it. All right. So where are we on the questions, Dan? I think you're in charge of this. Okay. We had just passed the, uh, my chat moved because I said something. Um, (laughs) That's the hardest part with lives is every time someone comments it skips up i wish you yeah you didn't do that and you could just scroll down um where are we it was it was i think the last question was about me there we go okay so go ahead good morning andrew retrainer that's good news thanks guys i'll reach back out to matt again invest to wealth i find more up to current rent in property management companies listings there you go yeah know thyself first why are the mls comps lower than outside sources are they stale in this hot market so mls comps that would be uh i think a mike or either one of your questions yeah so the reason that mls comps are lower and i believe he's talking about rents again is because mls is not a rent-based system right that's right there to sell homes Uh, it's not the cleanest data it's not updated as regularly it's certainly not daily activity Uh um mls was not never meant to be a place to source rents don't go there Right. And, and Mike, I want to take off something else you said. Stop looking at stupid freaking apps. Yes. Talk like, to honest somebody. to God, talk to people, people. Come on, you're not growing your network if you're not talking to people. You have to grow your network. You have to grow your network. You have to. In that my is course, a must. Yeah. In my course, what is it? Is it? I think it's two people a week. Yeah. Take, take the I mean, challenge. Meet two yeah. new people a week. Never stop. Never think about that. I've been doing this 20 years. Now I'm not always as diligent these days, but just sure. think you're going to be doing this to Dion's point in five years, five years yeah. times 52 is 260 weeks. If you met two people a week, you're, you're, you would have 500 people in your network. That's right. That is gold. 500 right. people that know your buy box, know what you're looking for. So you can get a seller finance deal, just like Dion. Because he told people what he's looking for. Yeah, right. I've been telling people I want a really good deal too, and no one's come my way. <laughs> <laughs> so I also every now and then I'll do a like Facebook post. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Matt. Go ahead. You're good. You're good. No, you're good. Every now and then I'll do a Facebook post that says, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is the area I look in. If you bring me a deal and I buy it, I'll give you 500 bucks. Like just let people know. Not only am I telling everybody what I do, but I would reward somebody who helps me. And a gentleman named Matthew has sent me several deals. um, And I haven't closed on any of them yet. But when I do, you know, definitely going to get it. So uh, and then from retrainer, I'm going to start tracking current rent prices daily, just like your buy box. It's it's a new tab on your spreadsheet. No, yes, it absolutely is. This is this is the best and greatest time ever. Somebody posted in the three amigos Facebook group, uh, last night that they had a unit coming up. 
you are doing yourself a huge disservice if you aren't doing three things. One, looking at all the websites that are out there, like the Craigslist, the apartments.com, all of those for current rents. Two, talking to other rental agents in your area. What would you list this for? This is what I'd like to know. You don't have to hire them on the spot. You can ask them that question. Just say, okay, I'll certainly let me think about that and I'll get back to you. But then get back to them and say, I've decided to list it myself. And in the future, if there's an opportunity for us to work together, we certainly will. The third thing is you need to be calling your housing authority and you also need to be finding out in your county who actually was in charge of COVID funding. In many cases, they actually have people that have been displaced because of COVID or because of the, the sale of the house. The barrier of entry is much lower now with the second set of funding and now soon to be third set of funding that's going, that was just approved or that is going to be approved in Washington. That is another 170 billion with a B dollars that they are putting into housing. Okay, so this is something that everybody must do. You must call and find out who is controlling those funds in your in your county and then for your town, because I've worked with the county. I've talked to them a number of times and they have a different rent rule than housing does. And it's much higher. It's actually over market because they're trying to replace families that otherwise wouldn't have homes. So right. they have it's well over market. Most areas are calling that the emergency housing voucher from COVID. Mm -hmm. And in my area, it's about 150 bucks more than area average. And what they would pay for Section 8 right now is hundreds of dollars lower. So it actually corrects the gap and then passes it up. And so talking about area average rents, yes, it should be a, a, a line item in your daily search because property prices and interest rates are only parts of the equation. To get to the yield, you know what your you need to know what your area average rents are. That's right. And mm -hmm. imagine if somebody started doing this five years ago and they learned the rents in their area, and they were going up about five percent every year. In 2021, they would have lost out on deals because in most areas we've seen rent increases over 20 yeah. percent. So you can get the the right yield with rent increases that have already happened. We're not projecting forward, thinking we hope they're going to keep going, but mm -hmm. the ones that we know that have happened because we've been watching the market every day, checking those sources tells us which deals we can go after. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay, next thing's down from Larry. Asking me, is your next $1 million property you're seeking expected in a class C neighborhood like in your other deals? Yes. I prefer class C. I don't ever wanna go class A, B, or D. I, I think there'll be more tenants in an economic downturn because B and A can move down to C. Um, so a fourplex in a class C area with three bedrooms each side is going to cost me more than a million dollars in my market. So that's my goal to find one like that. I concur. I like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't like class A. I leave that to the brand new developers and overspending and the crazy rents that they have to get. And like you were saying, Dion, that's something I've always believed. I mean, even in, even in this economy, but the crazy thing is, is in my area, even in this economy, those A class developers aren't sold out mm. on rents. They're not fully rented they're in the eighties for occupancy. And it's because they are way overpriced. I mean, we're they talking about, yeah, we're talking exactly for a three bedroom, two bath apartment in a larger building. They are with three parking spaces. They're just under $4,000 a month. <laughs> wow. It's un unbelievable. The amount of money that they are trying to get for some of those units and it's add on, add on, add on. 
And so they, you know, I was looking at, now I see them even advertising on Craigslist. Mm. I mean, a $3,800 apartment on Craigslist. Yeah. It's not Manhattan. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not back Bay in Boston. I mean, it's just, but that's, but they are listing it. They are available. But to Dion's point, I absolutely agree. And this is what you might, this is what you and I saw right back in 08, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. People that were losing their houses that, you know, that was the only reason that their credit got destroyed, but they actually still had a good job. They still had a W-2. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like we can go through that process. Yeah. Again, that's, that's the crazy thing about last crisis because the debt structure, the debt, the debt was just bad. It wasn't mm-hmm. the asset. People right. don't realize, cause they've been, they've been only looking at this for five years. People routinely had payments at like 1600 bucks, which they fully could afford because they didn't lose their job. But after two years, it went from a 1.9% to a 7.9% with only 28 year AM versus 30. That's and right. the payment went from 1600 to 3300. And like, well, right. can't make that payment. And 1600, they were making easily. Even yeah, 2000, they're making easily. But 3300, it's like, no, that you, you more than doubled. And that's why we won't see a foreclosure crash to this price. That's, that's why that's why all these idiots don't understand and why we didn't <laughs> saw less than one percent of four million homes go back to go back to the bank. We told you that was coming. The foreclosure wave never happened because the so, loans were 98% fixed and people could afford them. It's I'm crazy. still waiting on all that inventory. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Next comment down is from Better Home Rental. I use Mike's buy box plan and track all other consumer rental options in my buy box area and find real rental values. Nice. So, exactly. Absolutely. Do the work. Yeah. Yep. Sparty, happy Thanksgiving. Invest to wealth. Smash the like button. Yes. Look at that. We I all forget that when we're the ones talking. <laughs> I never <laughs> asked for that. That's true. Shame I always try to come into your guys' lives and say, smash the like button. Thank you. So, Buzz Valley, Buzz Valley Bee Farm. We'll ha- we'll have to catch the replay from here. Happy, okay. Have a good day, Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm thankful for this group working on your first deal with fifteen percent yield. Awesome. Oof, that's awesome. Woo. Nice. Know thyself first. If you have funds for one more deal this year, would you jump on anything above average, or will you wait till a great deal comes along? Me personally, I would check with your CPA to see what your position is and and see if if a if a write off is going to have an impact big enough to justify going from a great deal to an above average deal. Personally, I would always go for the great deals, but check with your CPA. You might be in a unique situation where it makes sense to get more write-offs this year. Yeah, I like that. I think I think generally speaking right now, I'm only doing great deals. Yep. I mean, honestly, every single time I think I've bought the only great deal on the market, another two weeks later, another great deal comes along. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, no, I'm not complaining, but this is this is what I'm saying is that I think that that is the hardest discipline to learn though, right? Is when to know when, especially when, you know, admittedly, Mike, we're in a little bit of a different position just based on the amount of cash flow that we create. Yeah. That quite frankly, if a duplex pops up, it's not a thing for us. It's just like, okay, we can do the duplex. It's not, it's a great, it's a, it's a great deal. What's really interesting is, is that, you know, I think that for those that are just a little bit, um, you know, just getting on the ladder, um, I think that, yeah, I, you know, in that particular case, I would never be in a rush to do a, a just above average deal. Yeah, I, what I would tell you on this question is that as a buyer, I don't, let, I don't let the calendar affect me. I let the calendar affect the seller. Yes. Right. I wouldn't yes. do it yes. like in the early part of the question, would I do a deal yeah. this year as the buyer? 
the calendar year means nothing. To Dion's point, there may be some tax subtleties that make it a good make it appealing. Uh, but I let I always let time be a a seller issue because obviously I want to extract a discount um, because of that. Yeah, and I'm coming at real estate from the business perspective of running a CDL school, and I know that this time of year. It is a, a, a zero-sum game looking at the full balance sheet going, sure. what assets can we acquire by the end of the year that will impact taxes, yeah, you know, how employee bonuses, all that Are we going to buy another truck? Literally trucks. We're yeah. buying three or four, no, three trucks, two trailers. Yeah, so there's a list this year. Yeah, um, totally understand. Cool. No, they sell first. Yay, the lumberjack is back. Awesome. Here I am. We're all at it early. Touchy-feely lumberjack. Yeah, <laughs> the softer side of lumberjack. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. <laughs> Matthew, oh snap, these three getting dangerous with this technology stuff. Yep, to blame that on Matt. That's not something yeah. you're Yeah, not me. <laughs> Matthew, happy Thanksgiving. There's my email. Huge thanks. Yep, and I will share that email. Um, share that info. And I, I have. So here's a shout out to anybody here. I have shared my spreadsheet on how I track my business with several people through email. If you are in the Three Amigos Facebook group or in the One Rental at a Time private Facebook group, please share that there. Like, I haven't figured out how to get it. Somebody's sent me screenshots on how to do it, but I don't have a 10-year-old around anymore to show me how to run that kind of stuff. So if I've sent it to you, please share it with everybody. Um, Sean, where do you... Each see the real estate market in three to five years. We'll start with Matt. Um, I see I will still be buying. Um, I will probably not be selling. Um, I think that I think that for the next year, I think it's going to uh, I think you'll see more inventory. I think you'll see less affordable inventory. Um, I think that you know, I'm, I'm still, I mean, I'll still be acquiring. I'll still be acquiring. I think the market in the next three to five years is going to be um, more expensive. Um, and I think when I say more expensive, I don't just mean values up. I think your payments are all going to be up. So I think you're going to be getting uh, less for more based on just how things are going financially for the country at this point and, and the policies that they're going to have in place. Um, and frankly speaking, the Powell renomination, um, even though he's the one who's navigated a lot of this, his focus continues to be on jobs. And that is what broke things in the early 70s for the country. And so I think that they're going to have to make adjustments and not be focused as much on jobs and be more focused on inflation. So I see rates significantly higher. I see values of properties higher based on supply demand. And so I think that deals will get, I think deals will get, largely speaking, I think they will get worse. That's where I see things in three to five years. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I want to answer this question kind of in two steps because they're really, my answer is different. Are we talking residential, which is four Pelexes okay. yeah, and fair. below, or commercial five units and above? So four units and below, I think Matt's pretty much onto it. Prices are higher, rates are higher, affordability is lower, and affordability is my number one metric. Again, affordability, we did a show on this a couple of weeks ago. It was 42 in Fresno. If I was going to put a number on it, it's probably 30. So lower, but not, 
you know, not crazy low, not, not 20. And if you don't know what I mean, go watch that video. It, it explains it pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so residential, I think, you know, I think, I, I think, and the other thing I think happens in three to five years is we've had a business cycle, meaning we've had a recession. Is it sharp and fast? Is it slow and long? Um, I don't know, right? That's, that's the big bugaboo out there. Does, does, does good old Uncle Powell have to raise rates fast, thus causing a sharp and steep but shallow or short recession? Or does he close his eyes and say, jobs, 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 jobs? And it's, you know, really, I don't know. It's, it's going to be fun. So I think residential is, doesn't have a crash. I think it's just a slowdown. I think, I think we have seen 70% of the appreciation for the decade in the first two years. But that doesn't mean the next eight years are negative. It just means it's right. flat, right? Right. Then there's commercial, five and above. This yeah. is three to five years is the perfect time frame to see bad operators and bad deals blow up. Yeah. Some of the deal again, I'm an accredited investor. I, I've been seeing I've been an accredited investor for 10 years. And I see the deals. I have not seen a good LP limited partner opportunity in two years. And some of the most dangerous and toxic deals I've seen have come across my plate in the last 90 days. If your debt structure is all variable in one or two or three years, and you're assuming rent increases of four or 5% for multiple years, you're a moron. And I've seen them. And I'm like, this, there are people doing these deals as 50K, 70K that have yeah. already lost the money and they don't know it. Mike, real quick, can I just add to that too? Which yeah. is they're also assuming 99% occupancy. Oh, it's just stupid assumption. <laughs> yeah, that's true today. It won't be tomorrow. No. Yeah. No. So yeah, I see pain. I, and again, not all pain, right? There are there are some markets and some multifamily deals would be great. But in general, the bad deals will blow up in three to five years. And I want to be there to buy them. Because I, again, I'm known as a one rental at a time guy. But again, I bought 50 units, zero down, 48 units, zero down, 2011, 12, because yeah. I was there and I was a proven operator. So I'm, I look forward to doing that again. God, well, I agree sure. with both of you guys. I, I don't see me playing in the five units or more. I, I don't like the debt structure. I, li I like the 30-year fixed rate debt. So if I if, have a guy that, for that, by the way. That option comes up. I, I've said I, I, I might look into it then. Um, so the thing to take away from this is all three of us are saying, if you're in the four units or less, the longer you take to buy, the more you're going to pay. <laughs> Absolutely. No question. Right. Yeah. Jennifer, go ahead. So no, I agree. Jennifer, happy Thanksgiving to everyone and their families. You too. Yeah. Tim, thanks. John Williams, happy Thanksgiving. Three amigos. Larry, what factors lead you to believe that seller financing and subject to deals will be the best? Does that mean conventional deals will be less lucrative or fewer transactions? That was a yes mic opinion. Yeah. Yes yeah. Yes. yeah. So I, basically what leads to this opinion is I believe we are in a flat market and I'll explain why that's important shortly. And I think a biz, I, I, the business cycle is real. We will have another recession. So here's why that's important. Why those two things work together. I believe the next business cycle, there are going to be people that bought in the last year or two that can't sell. Mm -hmm meaning they have no equity, right? Because selling a home is expensive. It's six to 8%, depending on where you are at. And if you have, if you put three and a half percent down and have had zero growth, you're stuck. 
And uh, I believe, so A, you can't sell. So you have to be, get creative. You can either let it foreclose, do Casper Keys, Deed and Lou, all the stuff that was common last time. Or you can work with a guy like me who's like, wow, you got a 2.8% 30-year mortgage? That's kind of sexy. Mm-hmm. And rents are up? Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of sexy. So I believe they're going to be able to do a lot of subject to deals. So that, that explains why... Uh, creative financing will be a thing. Uh, and then as far as conventional, there will be people that have to sell that can't sell. And that will just keep inventory lower. So that's what I think. Again, if the business cycle doesn't crack or we don't have a recession, and if real estate goes up 15% a year forever, then people are just list and sell. I just don't think that's likely. I took a note of the time so I can come back and get a soundbite out of a video clip of Mike going, that's kind of sexy. That's going to be in several videos in the next few weeks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so the next one down, Terry, uh, thoughts on house hacking and ADU, renting out the house, but living in a, in the casita. Matt? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, man. I love that. Love Actually, it. Ashley made the mistake of asking me, my wife made the mistake of asking me <laughs> if I'd be willing to house hack again. And I was like, I'll start packing now. <laughs> she goes, no, no, no. I just was interested in your opinion. I go, just so we can not listen to it. Like, let's <laughs> do it. I think it's great. She's like, I forget I asked. I forget yeah. I asked. Yes, absolutely. Anything that you can do until you're ready to, like anything that you can do to have the smallest possible financial nut that you can possibly have is always the way to go because you build, build, build. And it's funny because I see people that build, 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 and then they get to maybe four or six and then they stop. That's cool. No judgment. You're still going to retire a multimillionaire. And you can still like some people, what was really interesting. And I really appreciate Dion that Dion set this up in the, in the three amigos Facebook group was he actually put in there some questions like, do you have a freedom number? What was really interesting was a lot of people didn't, but the ones that did, God bless one guy. He said 1.625 million. I want to see that math. But the, but the cool thing was, is that a lot of people in there were like six grand a month. It's like, do you have any idea how easy it is to get to $6,000 a month? If you're doing the work and the daily discipline and understanding your market and taking the steps and working some nights and working some weekends, in 10 years, it's right there. You right are going there. to have that in 10 years. I mean, yeah, it's not one year. It's not Amazon drop shipping, but it is absolutely attainable. And that means if you're starting in your early 20s, in your early 30s, work can be optional. Or and then you, you become do what a you love and get paid to do what you love. Like these just such opportunity. So on the house hacking in the casita, three quick things. First, it's addicting to live somewhere for free or to get paid to live there. So yes. keep it up because me and Matt both would like to do it forever. Um, yeah. If you have a yeah. spouse, maybe, you know, concede on that a little bit. But second, <laughs> the, the benefit to the casita or the ADU or the granny flat, mother-in-law house, whatever they want to call it, is that that is a single family home purchase. If you purchase a duplex, triplex, or quad right now, FHA is 3.5. But most lenders for conventional are going to want more than that 5% for the small multifamily. Mm-hmm. Looking at a house with an ADU, and you can call it a casita, but sometimes those are two four-bedroom houses. It doesn't have to That's be right. a smaller second one. It's just I've got a friend that bought one right up the street here in Tacoma, and it's two full houses. Um, 
single family house lending because one is considered a, an ADU. The second or the third thing is you eliminate a lot of competition. Single family home buyers don't want a second house because they're not looking for tenants. And most investors are looking for small multifamily. So in your search criteria with your agent, I actually in include the colloquialisms for your area. In, in my area, it's ADU, DADU, granny flat, mother-in-law house. Those four are in the searches just to make sure that those pop up because we can't control what the seller is going to list it at or the selling That's agent right. even thinks it's called. But it is a great strategy because you eliminate competition, you get single family um, lending options. And I, I believe everybody should house hack at some point in some way, even if it's like Jeremy Kirkwood who comes with his eight kids and buys a single family house, lives there for a year then buys a single family house and lives there for a year. He's not sharing living space. He doesn't have multiple units. He's turning single family houses into rentals using house hacking just to get owner financing, better right. rate, better down or lower down payment. So I, me and Matt, we all agree. Mike will agree. House hack the casita. Yeah. Rob, waiting for signatures on a deal in San Diego. That means you're close to closing. Awesome. That's very good. Better home rental. What do you think are the positives and negatives of using an IRA to buy great deals in 22 and 23 versus bank? Thanks. You, I, I'm so anti-private or, or retirement accounts. I'll let you guys answer. <laughs> so the only way that I would answer that is, um, I so I'll be very simple about it. I believe that money from your IRA will be available. And I think bank money will be much harder to get at a reasonable rate. Yeah. So I know lots of people that use their IRAs. Um, it's actually, there's one of the bonus sections in my course talks about IRAs and how to use it. Um, there are a lot of rules. It's possible. Uh, mm -hmm. You also need to know uh, that Anna Kelly has brought this channel uh, one rental at a time updates that the, um, the rules may change. There may yeah, be percentage ownership. Like you can't own more than 50% or things of that nature. Uh, so you got to watch stuff like that. Um, but much like Dion, for me, too hard, too many loopholes. Life's hard enough. I I cashed out and you know went ahead. Not financial advice, just what I did. Right. It's not financial advice. Just I hate the idea of money being trapped away, where you have barriers between you and money that you earned, even if there are tax benefits. And the whole idea of retirement accounts is hoping I retire broke in a lower tax bracket, yeah. hoping taxes don't go up in the future because have you met government and take that money and put it to work in a rental where you get cash flow now to save, spend, or invest appreciation on multiples of what you're investing because we use leverage principal pay down where the tenants pay off the loan. And with the tax benefits, benefits of real estate in 10, and you guys might be at a point where you're paying taxes, but in 10 years, I haven't paid a penny on rental profit. I still have enough depreciation and write-offs to where I haven't paid any of that. To me, it would be worth emptying a retirement account, paying the 10% penalty. Mm -hmm. And I hate to use the word lucky, but luckily the pandemic happened. And last year we were able to empty out up to $100,000 without the penalty. So I took advantage of that. So if you find a way to put your IRA to work in rental properties and you understand the hoops you have to jump through and that legislation could change, even though it didn't currently, to take away your ability to do that, then go for it. Matthew, three to one in the city I own. Most of my rentals went from seven hundred fifty a month in fourteen to twelve hundred dollars a month. Yeah, and still going up. About to list another unit for twelve fifty. This house was eight fifty in two thousand seventeen. I would list it for fourteen. 
yes. for at least two weeks yes. before coming down to what you think it should be right now. I was at 1130, listed at 18, had 12 applicants, went with one, should have listed it at 22. Oh, and then wow. two weeks later, come down. Um, so I'm learning that lesson as I go. I would go higher than what you think. I don't know if you guys yep. agree with that. Yeah, yeah I, I had. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, in this market, the only the only other wrinkle is I don't know where you are in the country, right? Some some parts of the country are really cold and snow and all of that. I don't happen to invest in that market, but you may have weather things that make that more difficult choice. But yeah, if you are in California or Washington, yeah, go higher. In two weeks, you can lower it. But yeah, I think that's good advice. It's it's kind of cold here in Washington. Not quite, you know, Wisconsin, Canada type weather. Yeah, but sure. yeah. I actually see more demand in the winter because mm. it's it's supply and demand. And, and a lot yes. of people structure their leases to where the leases end in the summer between summer, school yeah. years. So there's just fewer places available in the winter here. Yeah, I like that. Very, very much so, for sure. Ryan, happy Thanksgiving. Josh, I immediately found a realtor in the area we are moving that we like. She's sending me listings through one home. Have you guys used this site? And should I have multiple realtors in a given area? Um, Matt. Yes. Yes, you should absolutely have multiple realtors in a given area. I have not used one home. Don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. And then Matthew Paris, real quickly on the rental thing, they, Dion and Mike are both right, overprice it. I had a unit that used to historically rent out for $900 when I took over the building in 2017, it was $600. I got it all the way up to $900. I just rented that unit out for $1,750. Oh my God. Inflation. So the official term Inflation for that is, is transitory. Yeah. That doesn't suck. No, that, that, doesn't, that, right. that, that made me giggle a little bit. Like a schoolgirl, I loved it. I was like, oh. That doesn't Ashley suck. was like, was that, was that our daughter? I was like, no, that was me. <laughs> That's how I am with that duplex that, that went to 18 each side. Um, I, my 10% return was at 1130 each side. So oh, wow. yeah. I need to do the math on what the return on that is now. But I'm always looking at return for first year. Yeah, yeah. Because down the road, it's just going to be amazing, anyways. I, I literally had a couple of properties move into the over one hundred percent return on capital yearly, and so I literally I just did that. I just did that spreadsheet actually about three weeks ago, and I had to re keep on rerunning the numbers. And I was like, the math is the math. Like it's just math. It's just and math. Like, that's your that's just, your line. <laughs> it is. It's just math, and I'm like rerunning the numbers, rerunning the numbers. Finally, I was just like, I sent it over to my commercial banker. And I said, is this right? Am I looking at this right? She's like, holy cow, yeah. And I was nice. like, all right. So literally, I am refinancing those three properties because there is no need for that much income on those three properties. There just isn't. So Josh, on the realtor thing, this is my order of operations for, for realtors. If you are a home buyer and you are going to use an agent's time for going and viewing properties and answering a million questions, I would sign an exclusivity agreement and protect that agent's time. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But as an investor where I want auto searches set up and I'm going to do the filtering and the only time that agent's going to deal with me is when I'm making an offer and they have the potentiality to get a payment, I'll work with multiple agents. I let them know, let them choose. I've never had one say no. But just in case you run into one who's just convinced they have to have that agreement, then you move on to the next agent. Agents search the MLS very differently. I, I have an email with copy and paste. This is a criteria I'm looking for in this footprint. I send it to at least three agents, have my auto searches set up. And in 10 years, one time, have they sent me the same property that I was interested in within a 24 hour period. 
they they do send me ones when they sit on the market for three four weeks if when that was a thing but when they come out and i want to see it within a day to be quick on it i've only seen it one time where they were within 24 hours of each other so even if i was an agent with full access to the mls i would have three agents with auto searches set up nathan what is one thing each of you would go back and tell yourselves as you were starting real estate? I'll start with Mike. Uh, so I guess the first thing I've been pretty clear on is I should have started earlier. Um, again, I've actually done the work, right? So I've been in one market the whole time. So I, I know it from 2001 on, but again, I went back and looked at myself in the mirror and said, what would happen if I started in 92 or 93? Uh, conservatively, I would have been retired by the age of 31. For those that know my story, I wasn't retired until I was 45. That kind of pisses me off, kind of, kind of annoys me. So again, I, uh, I got high on the hog. I lit a lifestyle creep. Um, again, back to the earlier casita question. There are so many things you could do to live for free, right? Uh, cheat code to wealth. Uh, I should have been retired by 31. And I wasn't. So that kind of annoys me. In your defense, I interviewed Cody Davis, who I recommend having on your channel. He's amazing. He's like 21, um, 80 something. He had 30 units when I interviewed him like a couple months ago. He's just doing seller face, killing it. 21 year old when I interviewed him with over 30 units. And you know what his statement was? I wish I started sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That hits everybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Matt. And what would you tell yourself if you go back when you were starting real estate? Um, that I would probably, honestly, I think I would, I couldn't start any much younger. I wasn't any younger. I wouldn't have been able to legally sign the contract. Um, cause I started really early twenties, kind of like Cody. Um, but I would say the biggest thing that I would tell myself is I would have done a better job at uh, market selection. Mm. The market that I chose was the wrong market. It showed a decent return, but the part of the market, cause I chose a city. I chose Manchester, New Hampshire. That's where I started after I did my condo hack um, in the city. And then I, and then I bought an, a house that I was going to fix up and then basically just sell um, or, or rent out, uh, depending on what the numbers look like. When I bought my first real multifamily, when I was looking at it, I should have picked better neighborhoods. I didn't understand the importance of the area. And obviously, the first three rules of real estate, location, location, location. That was the thing that probably got me the most because I bought that property probably in 04, 05. And I had two years that were okay as the, as the neighborhood transitioned. And then the crash happened and then it did not, it stopped transitioning. It started going backwards and all of a sudden I couldn't get good renters. I couldn't, and, and, you know, the, the, the building really started to deteriorate. The numbers started to look bad. And it took me, oh, let's see, oh, five. I sold that building in 18 or 19. So it took me 13 or 14 years to get out of that building because I always wanted to sell that building or those two buildings, actually. I always wanted to sell them. You can actually look them up, 331 Pearl Street in Manchester, New Hampshire. I always wanted to sell that building. I had to keep on you know, improving it for the city and the officials and how they have inspectors out there and how they do certificates of compliance. I would have understood that process a lot better before I started investing in that city because when it was all said and done and I walked, it wasn't that I, I still walked with a check for 80 or 90 grand and that was fine, but it took me eight, you know, 13, 14 years to get that. And the opportunity cost 
was off the charts because I ended up getting into my market that I'm in now in 07, right around the crash. And that's what's really helped propel my business the most was picking the right market because now it's you know, year after year, this there's amazing growth in in prices, in population. It's just it's killer. So I would absolutely say area, area, area. Cool. Um, if I can mean? go back and talk to myself yeah. and teach before I started real estate, I have a video where I do that. It's called "I Wish I Had More Debt." And at the oh, end of it, I give myself this advice. This was the advice I gave myself. I'm talking to myself ten years ago. I would really tell myself two things. I told myself. Never date a coworker. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most important advice I could give myself. <laughs> but if I could go back and talk to myself oh, now, before so I got started in real estate, I would say, educate yourself. I jumped into real estate thinking, I'm going to replace my income and just jump into real estate with no education, no books, no podcasts, no audiobooks. Um, 13 months in boot camp, Marine Infantry School, MOS training to become a Marine six-month police academy to become a police officer, four-year degree to become an appraiser. I mean, whatever, you know, whatever the industry you're trying to get in, people educate themselves to do. And I was just going to be a real estate investor. So my first year sucked. <laughs> no lease, rented on a handshake. Rent was late, didn't care, no late charges. So rent became never. Made all those mistakes until I started educating myself and looking for things like people who are watching this now, going to one rental at a time, getting in the course, going to the, our, our YouTube channels and, and being here for these kind of conversations. And just one of us today is going to say something that resonates with somebody and changes their complete path on how they invest. And that person didn't even know what they were looking to learn today. You have to be experiencing things like this for our brains to develop. And that's what I would have done before jumping into real estate education. Yeah. Know thyself first. Mike has recently been talking about the next two years being tougher. What does that really mean for us? Lesser deals to come, financing becoming tougher, cooler market. Mike? Yes. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things when I'm saying that. So realize that what I'm really talking to is the people not doing the work. The last two years, and you've heard Omar and I say this is one of my experts, that the real estate market made you. If you, were, if you were a real estate agent the last couple of years, all you had to do is get a listing and sit back and wait. There's been a lot of money made by flippers, a lot of money made by wholesalers, a lot of made made by uh, owners of homes simply because they owned them. The market made them. When you have 16% appreciation for the freaking country, there's a lot of equity made. What I'm trying to say by this, it's getting harder, is we're going to go into the real estate slowdown. And when you have a real estate slowdown and you have a bunch of idiots who didn't do the work, who overpaid, and were one time bailed out by the market who were not bailed out and they have all these carrying costs and all these other things, there's a lot of people that are going to repeat my sins of 2001 where I lost 80% of my net worth because I got cocky, I got lazy, I didn't do the work. I'm saying things like the next two years are going to be harder because I'm trying to save someone's ass. One person out there is going to go, you know what, that guy's, that guy's been right a few times and... Uh -huh. He's telling me that uh, he did this before and it kind of sucked. I might want to take some chips off the table. So I'm trying to be provocative on purpose. Now let's talk about the people that are doing the work. You are going to find sellers that are in some unique situations. You are going, you, we are going to find flippers that are upside down and they got to get out. 
So you can do a turnkey unit, right? There's just going to be more opportunities. What I think is going to happen the next two years, know thyself, is the people that do the work are going to be rewarded. And the people that don't do the work are going to lose their ass. Mm -hmm. Simply said. Awesome. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that's, that's, that's really it. I think it, yes, lesser deals. Yes, financing becomes tougher. Yes, different, different market, not necessarily cooler. I think that new construction is going to be very, very, very expensive and going to continue to remain very expensive. And as debt gets more expensive, new construction is going to be the first thing affected. And that just like it does for units where it pushes people down into older units, guess what? It's going to do the same thing with housing. It's going to push you back down into older houses out of new. And I, and I think the thing to take away is Mike has been saying that, and I'm, I consider myself a newer investor. I've been investing for about a little over 10 years, which means I didn't live through the last crash as an investor. So it's important for me to base a lot of my decisions watching people who've been investing longer that have lived through those cycles and when people like you start saying the next two years are going to be challenging this is where i want to pay attention to things like rents are skyrocketing in 2021 some people are going to make decisions thinking rents are going to skyrocket in 2022 exactly. and catch themselves yes. on a plateau losing money yes. yes or if rents skyrocket we benefit but don't plan for it right so eli Based on my interpretation, California rent control only seems to apply to large multi-units and corporate entities as that, is that accurate? My property is way under market, so I need to do a steep, a step function. So Mike probably has a better understanding of the rent control there. I know that some states, if you're owner occupying small multifamily, it doesn't apply if you don't have a certain number of units. And uh, so if you can give the specifics of California, Mike. Yeah, my understanding in California, given the current rules, and some of these were adopted after the fires we had last summer, uh, it is actually duplexes and above. That was a surprise to me when I looked at the, uh, the rules last year when they were instituted, duplexes and above. The only way a duplex will not be included is if the owner lives in one of the units, uh, in that case, a triplex, a triplex and above. So no, this is not big. This is not corporate entities. All of my multifamilies, duplexes and above, have rent control, which in California is 5% plus inflation with a cap of 10%. That is why owners who are buying in California with uh, leases drastically under are should be buying on actuals, not futures, because right. it will be very, very difficult to get them up. Uh, and that's another reason why single family homes are awesome in California, uh -huh. because I can jack them 40% and there's no rent control. So. That is my current understanding of the rules of the road. Okay. Any in your area, Matt? Um, no rent control. How far out do you have to travel to find rent control? The <laughs> New York, state, right? Yeah. California, California, New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's New York. It's, it's honestly, it's New York. Actually, I think it might be Massachusetts as well. Uh. Massachusetts, just south of us. Because, yeah, for us, it's, I mean, we have not had an issue because I mean, I, I just told you, you know, we're getting 70% more rent for a unit than we got last year. Well, wages set rents and Correct. we're seeing wage inflation, right? Correct. Yep. Supply demand. In Washington state, there's actually a revised code of Washington and RCW that says it is illegal to have rent control here. So the kingdom of Seattle gets creative and they say, six month notification on a rent increase over a certain percent. If the tenant doesn't want to pay that, the owner has to pay to move the tenant. 
Like, so it's a form of rent control. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I'd say so. Okay. And I think France. (laughs) Know thyself. Uh, Can you elaborate on why pricing your rentals below market value is a good thing? So I'll start and then we'll go through you guys because the binder strategy is basically to try to keep the rents below market average without having to do a rehab, without having to repair almost anything. That's, that's the goal for me is saving the cost and the time and the energy of doing a rehab. If I buy an empty place, I think I would do like Matt and Mike do, fix everything up, get market rents or above because it's newer and fixed up and you can kind of be a trendsetter. But when I buy a place that has inherited tenants or existing tenants, or I have a tenant that's been in place for a while, when I'm setting rents and I have that binder strategy, my goal is to avoid a tenant turnover, avoid doing a rehab. So keeping the rents 50 or $100 below the area average, saving myself $7,000 on flooring and paint is definitely math I'm okay with. And I'm lazy. <laughs> so well, how do you guys look at when you set your rents? I know, Mike, you use property manager, so... Well, I mean, I'll just, I'll say it this way. There's, if the unit's vacant, go above market. We said that I think 20 or 30 minutes ago, but yeah, every year I look at my, every year I look at every property, the income statement and without knowing their history. And if I ever just strip away the addresses, the ones where I lose money had tenant tenant turnover, especially houses. So yeah. yeah. If if I could if if I could get a rent increase and but keep it fifty bucks below what it could be and they don't move, that is an equation I like. Matt, yeah. So in order to not any you know not Ken McElroy anybody, I literally own one single family home now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I own Show one. Show I cannot tell you anything about because I they don't work in my area and so for me. All the time when a tenant moves out or when we have that turn, we always have another unit that's actually covering the mortgage. And so it might only be a two, 300 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So from our perspective, anytime that we've, when we buy a building and it's occupied, like we just, we bought a five, I bought a five unit, all occupied. I made zero effort to get anybody out. Mm-hmm. I basically just said, yep, status quo for now. And as soon as the first one popped, boom, done. 60 days, we went through, we gutted the entire place, rent went from 750 to 1250. And we spent maybe 8,000 bucks. And so now as we're going through that building and raising the rents, I'm more aggressive in raising the rents, but I will pick the next unit that I want to do by by raising that price the most because it's the most valuable to me to do, excuse me, to do next. Mm -hmm. So that's how I do it based on A, not having rent control and B, most importantly is I also don't want to get to the end of my journey like so many landlords do and saying, I took below market forever. And now I have a third, now I have a portfolio of a bunch of properties that haven't been rehabbed in 30 years mm-hmm. because they will get crushed when it comes to actually going to market and actually selling something. Yep. So for me, you can actually get that rent. You can actually get that money, that a lot more money coming in. It's all about return on my capital. And so if I can put seven, 8,000 bucks into a unit, but I'm getting three and $400 or $500 more, that's only two years. And I'm not going to have to redo it for another 10 or 15 at least. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather do that work. I'd rather get my hands dirty, rather, um, you know, put myself in a position to get over market rents. Um, and then again, if I ever decide to sell that house, I don't have to rehab it before I sell it. And I also don't have to take a hit 
selling it as well but it's dated but clean right mm -hmm. i don't have to do that that's my view cool so matthew uh talking to eli as you understand it multifamily is rent controlled in california as mike said the only time there is an exception is if the owner lives in a duplex rob how much time do we have on dion's rented voice <laughs> we've been doing this a bit over an hour but i'm not talking the whole time mm -hmm. so since it's broken up into three i'm, I'm okay Joey, happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Do you think Jerome, Jeremy Powell retaining his position will keep mortgage rates fairly stable? Mike? Uh, I actually think Jerome Powell staying in place means rates will go up longer or sh uh, go up faster. Uh, <laughs> now, again, I think that's stable. So again, it's, that word may mean something different to you. Uh, Jerome Powell, will, rates will be higher faster with Jerome Powell. Uh, Baynard, I think is her name. Uh, yeah. She... She was le she was more dovish than power, which really freaked me out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think rates go faster. Not crazy okay. fast, but faster than Baynard, Brainerd, whatever. Okay, and then Matthew Paris withdrew a message and I will spend the entire day wondering what that was and what I missed. <laughs> <laughs> niece or Nessie, niece, happy Thanksgiving. Nessie, Nessie thank you. Mm -hmm. Happy Thanksgiving, Nessie. Matthew Paris, Central Florida, just outside of suburbs of Orlando, 2-1 in the Orlando area is 1600 a month. Oh, yeah. So two bedrooms, yep. Yeah, the, the two bedrooms in my area are going for 16 to 18 now. Yeah. What were they five years ago, Dion? Five years ago, 12? Like 12. Maybe 11? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, same thing here. When I first bought what something, so a two bedroom in my market, when I first bought here, a two bedroom was seven fifty to eight hundred, and now it's sixteen to eighteen, so it's more than double. But I have thirty year fixed debt, so I don't care. That's well, we do care. We love it. Like we love it. That's yeah. what we want, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. G Waters. Good morning and happy Thanksgiving, gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> and now Mary is going to make me wonder about two messages for the rest of the day. All right. <laughs> Thankful for the experience and knowledge you all three share with the rest of us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us. Mm -hmm. Never date a coworker. That's good advice. And, and specifically <laughs> in a 10 year span, never date nine of them. Oh, jeez. Didn't learn the first time, I guess, huh? <laughs> Slow learner. Terry. Nine? Oh my wow, God. This, is, this isn't live. I can edit this out later, right? Yeah. Going to let me edit this. <laughs> nope, it's going out of my channel. It's less than one a year. I don't feel terrible. Um, uh, you, they were comparing notes on you. You know that, right? Oh, I have I have images of that. Oh my god, <laughs> Carrie. We need to rewind. Let's go back a minute. Just start oh, that over. Awesome. Wish I'd started thirty-five years ago, like I'd planned. We're all with you there. Matthew, what impact do you think the infrastructure bill and potential, potentially the Build Back Better bill will have on inflation and home prices? We all know $3.7 trillion isn't really paid for, never is. Matt? Um, yeah, so inflation is going higher, um, unless the deflationary uh, thing that Dion and, and Mike and I talked about, certainly possible, but I think inflation is going to go markedly higher. I think that everyone's taxes are going up 100%. They're, not 100% in value, but guaranteed. Everyone's taxes are going up. 
Um, and I think that, um, and I think that, you know, just based on what I saw in the first part of the infrastructure piece, which was there's $170 billion in there for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. <sighs> That's a lot of money. Again, it's, it's all demand. They're doing nothing for freaking supply. Correct. Well, that's the issue that that's the issue that there always will be with Washington is that they don't understand that you need to let the free market be the free market and stop picking winners and losers. And I think that what what that translates to, largely speaking, is everything is going to get more expensive. Mm -hmm. That's what happens when you flood the money with a bunch of more uh, when you flood the market with a bunch more money and no new thing to get, no new housing, no new this, no new that. Guess what? The stuff that's out there is going to have a much bigger pull on demand. Mm -hmm. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think the connection to housing and, the, and that question is kind of loose. What I would tell you is spilling another one, two, three trillion dollars into an envi environment where we have constraints on commodities, we have constraints on labor, will drive prices up, wages up, wages drive rents, wages drive payments, payments drive prices. You can play it out. So the the connection directly to housing is maybe a little kind of around the corner, but it's there. Uh, but yeah, it, it's freaking inflation. Inflation's a multi-year problem. I know, I know. I don't know when transitory became three or four years, but that's what we got. When we come to an infrastructure bill, this is kind of my kindergarten way of looking at it. <clears throat> I purchased a duplex in a town, Lacey, Washington, because they removed the bridge on I-5, the major freeway that goes through the city basically, and put in a new bridge that is basically <clears throat> a European style two roundabouts where the traffic is on the wrong side of the road. It took 26 touch points with traffic lights down to 14. Hmm. Completely changed the way people get on and off the freeway there. That duplex has gone up about 60% in value in one year. That whole, oh. that whole area has just almost, I mean, technically it's close to doubled in value. Um, but a safe estimate would be a 60% increase by watching what's happening with the infrastructure. So if something's happening in your local area, um, also there was a mushroom farm that moved away. So like you can actually track things going on in the area that are going to impact property values. So I would be watching for things like that. Was the mushroom farm moving away a good thing or a bad thing? It was, it was a good thing. So it, it had been there for, it was a bad thing for the company because yeah. the city grew around the mushroom farm. Mm. Then the city complained about the mushroom farm. I'm like, it was there the whole time. You knew, yeah. but it was, it was first a multiple area miles area where the smell in the summer was really bad. So rents were low, property prices didn't go very much. They, they lost the court battle a couple of years ago. And uh, this is the great thing about real estate is insider trading is legal in real estate. Mm -hmm. I run a truck driving school. I had several people coming from that company saying, hey, we're, our company's moving away. We need to get a CDL to get a job. And I'm like, oh, two years in advance, I know this is going to happen. So I buy a place knowing that's going to happen. Then I watch the infrastructure and uh, everything done there is legal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Matthew, you feel that further, they will further drive inflation, home prices, too many dollars chasing a few goods. Exactly what we basically Agreed. just said. Mm -hmm. yeah. Pallavi, thankfully to all three of your endless teaching plus other team members, effort providing tons of guidance. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone, to all of them, one rental at a time. You too. Sean, if large multifamily corrects, how do you think it will affect single family and two to four unit multifamily? Mike? I don't think there will be any direct connection because again, what's going to blow up is the debt. 
uh, rents. If this wanted to impact rents, uh, it won't. It won't even impact the tenants in the building. It's going to impact the debt holder. And more importantly, just be very clear: not even the debt holder. It'll hurt the equity. So what does that mean? Again, I see these deals. I'm an accredited investor. A deal looks like this: we are going to buy a hundred million dollar apartment building. Uh, we are going to put 70% debt on it, which means it's going to be 70 million bucks. We are going to raise $30 million in LP because, of course, no GP puts their own money in. I mean, why would you do that? Why have skin in the game as a GP? You get paid all this freaking fees to do all this other no nonsense. Then rents will plateau. They won't go up. You'll have property manage or property taxes go up. Your NOI will not be what it's want. Then the bank will look at your NOI and your asset statement and say, hey, that building was worth 100. Now it's worth 80. If we're going to extend your loan, uh, you're going to have to give us an extra 24 million bucks to get to the right debt coverage. The owner's going to go, shit, I can't get 24 million dollars from my investor. We're going to sell the building at 80 million. They're going to exit with 2 million bucks after selling costs. LPs lose everything. GPs lose nothing. And I buy a building that was once 100 for 72 million bucks. I win. It doesn't impact residential at all. Yeah, I see the two being completely different like agreed as an investor liking 30-year fixed rate debt liking house hacking i don't even look at five units or more so to me this very separate asset classes and when it comes to syndications there's a there's an x factor in real estate there's there's two lines and the higher you go on the lines the more money you're going to make the first line in the x is work the more work you do, the more money you're going to make. If you self-manage short-term rentals on Airbnb, you're going to have the highest rent to rent to payment issue or ratio. You go down to having a property manager, you go down to long-term rental, the further down you go down that line, the less money you're going to make. You get all the way to the bottom and you have syndications where you're getting a percentage back after the person who put the syndication together takes their cut. And then the other line in that X is your risk factor. The more risk you're willing to take, the more money you have the potential to make. So those two lines line up to me, and it completely eliminates multifamily. I know, Mike, you've played in that space before, but and, and until maybe I connect with your guy that has 30-year fixed rate debt, because the biggest fear for me is the loan reevaluation period. Exactly. That's what <laughs> is going to blow up multifamily and why it won't impact. It won't even impact. The tenants in the building won't know that the owner just lost their ass. Because uh, it'll all be debt-based. It won't, it won't impact right. the tenants at all. Um, retrainer. What does your property tax look like in New Hampshire? How is that calculated for you, Lumberjack? So they have something called a mill rate here. And the mill rate is basically inclusive of what the state is going to take as well as what the city takes. And then you can pick your town. Uh, we call it picking your poison um, because you're going to be anywhere from as low as an eight mil rate all the way up to a 35 mil rate. And that 35 mil rate is $35 per thousand. So if you have a $100,000 house, it's 3500 bucks. A $300,000 house, do the math. It is over $10,000. Um, but the way that they assess the values, that's where the other thing is. So the joke here is, Oh, well, assessments are up. That's okay. Our taxes are going down. Now, nominally, your taxes are going up, but the percentage will go down. And then the joke is the next year, oh, taxes, uh, the percentage, uh, uh, taxes are going up. The, the, the tax rate, the mill rate's going up. That's all right. Assessments are going down, but they still find a way to get more money. 
So it's back and forth every single year. So that's the one thing that we watch in New Hampshire, because I believe, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, when you buy something in California based on prop, whatever 13. it is, prop 13, 13 prop 13. So your property taxes are fixed based on when you buy that property, right? Fixed. Uh, well, just a subtle twist. It can go up um, 3% a year, which is 3% okay. on the rate. So I bought houses for under 50 grand and yep. my property taxes are laughable low. Yeah. Uh, still. Um, yeah. Because of prop 13. I like prop 13. Prop 13. Yeah. Prop 13. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that's really good for us because we don't have an income tax. And so you have to look at all the equations of income and blah, blah, blah. So that 13 unit or 12 unit that I bought for 1.31 million, the property tax there is $28,000 a year. <laughs> yeah. It's two, th- it's basically 2,300 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. When it, my, when it comes my, to property my, taxes, my is five grand. <laughs> there's a couple of things to think of as an investor when it comes to property taxes is first tenants pay those. But you can only buy if tenants paying the property taxes gives you the yield you're looking for. So you need to factor it into your equation when you're looking for your your, um, cash on cash return is basically your cost to acquire, you know, minus expenses. Uh, You're you're getting your annual profit divided by your cost to acquire. Mm -hmm. A thing that a lot of investors make the mistake on is they look at their taxes where they're at when they buy the property. And those the property taxes in most areas the property was purchased 10, 15 years ago for a much lower amount, and they've incrementally gone up with taxes. In states like Washington, when you buy a property, you create a factual event that tells the county tax assessor that's the current value of the property. So while the, the percentage they charge for taxes can't go up, the valuation of the property can change based right. on whatever it currently is. So we look at the MLS listing and we think, okay, that's the property taxes. And then you buy the property and it's two or three times that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so factor that into your purchase, learn, doing the work, learning your area, knowing what the, the taxes are going to be after you purchase it is the number that you use in your tax for, for the equation. Right. Um, my thing moved, sorry. Crimson Knight, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Almost completely forgot this thing was happening, but not today. You didn't forget. <laughs> Cassidy. When looking for a good area to invest in besides personal advantages, knowledge of an area, what are the key pieces of info to focus on? Matt. Um, I would say, oh boy. Um, oh, did I just lose you guys? No. Nope. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I would say probably the most important thing or the most important areas for me were proximity. That was the most important thing for me because of how I wanted to run my business. So for me, it was proximity. And then it was, like I said before, which was just understanding the market better for where exactly I was looking or watching, if that makes sense. You know, the neighborhood that I was looking at. How about you, Matt or Mike? I'm actually going to take this question a different way because I, I, don't, I don't know Cassidy. Um, so I might be totally off base, but this is for most new investors. I believe most new investors spend too much time trying to find the perfect market. And that takes them away from learning the skill, right? If you're in my course, how to get started one rental at a time, you know that I'm trying to teach you a skill, learn the skill and then find the market. I think too many people are trying to find the best market, the perfect market, the next up and coming, and they don't do deals. They don't make offers. 
they're one day they're in Huntsville, then they're in Nashville, then they're in Cleveland, then they're in this, and then they're in that. So when, when I hear questions or read questions like that, I get nervous because I believe real estate investing is a skill. I believe if you learn the skill, you can do great deals anywhere. I don't believe there is a perfect market. I have seen people over time lose their ass in great markets. I have seen people make great money in horrible markets. I have invested in California, one of the least landlord-friendly states for 20 flipping years and uh -huh. done a pretty good job. Uh -huh. I don't, I, I that, that question again, Cassidy, this is not meant for you. It's meant for most people saying this. You're not doing, you're, you're not learning the skill. You're focused on the market. And I believe that's the wrong step one. Okay. And Cassidy, so I agree with Mike, you, you learn the skill and how to apply it to the market. When you're picking the market, you ask for, you know, what are things that you look for to make it a good market? And it, you said without the personal advantage. So either you live there or you used to live there. So you know, the neighborhoods or you have boots on the ground. The next thing you said was, you know, you have knowledge of the area. I look for multiple economic drivers. I want to make sure there's more than one source of tenants. So several large businesses, a, a base, a port, a college, a hospital, something where I know that if one or two of those things goes away, there's still going to be people there. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to go to a place where population is increasing. And you can usually find this by going to U-Haul and figuring out which states people are moving to. They, they track their truck movements. Yep. Um, so you're learning the market. And this is a law enforcement background. Don't make a decision saying, this is the strategy I'm going to use in this market. Study that market and figure out which strategy works best there, and then figure out if that's one that you want to do. There are some markets where buy and hold might not be the best deal, uh, and, in, and things are going up so fast, flipping is the best strategy for there, but I don't want to flip. So you're going to be competing with flippers in that market. But in my area, I wanted single family house. They don't cash flow, so I switched to small multifamily. As you're learning the market, make sure you're adjusting your strategy to what works best there. Because in almost every market, like Mike said, somebody is investing successfully. Uh, Eli, what's the timeline on a cash out refi? I'll know in a few months, but you guys should know. Yeah, so I've just done a couple of them. Uh, it's actually the appraisal uh, that's the long pole in this. Uh -huh. uh, so one of my cash out refis was 41 days. Another one was 53. Uh -huh. Yep, 45 to 60 is what I tell everybody. Yep. For me, it's about 11 years because I've just now chosen <laughs> to do it. That's Hopefully how long it took. Hopefully you weren't rate locked. Yeah, that's, that's a hell of a lot of points. <laughs> right. And hopefully I wasn't peer pressured into it. Uh, Rob, Mike, in California, is anything not long-term considered short-term? Renting to a traveling nurse on a six-month contract, is that still short-term, thus subject to regulations? I believe again. I don't do. I don't do those. But I've been asked a lot, and I have friends that do Airbnb. Yeah, anything less than twelve months is considered short term. But again, not a lawyer, not an attorney. That's just what I've been told. Secondhand information. I only do year leases and then go month to month. So I don't play in that game. So just what I've heard, Rob. Fair enough. And then, how do you knock it on? I told a Phoenix realtor to stop sending me 800K deals with 3,000 a month in income. Realtors need to quit using a performer to set sales price. <laughs> I like to give my agents a very broad search pattern and then refine it like that. Tell them, okay, so let's eliminate this or let's narrow down the footprint. Um, and I don't think anybody should use performa anything. There's literally a caveat in the, in the listing that says, 
The agent is allowed to lie and make up any numbers they want. You have to verify them yourself. They might use different words, but that's basically what it says. So, yeah. Matthew Paris, question for Mike. When can we expect reventure capital course in your program to teach us about what to look for in a crash? <laughs> oh, that is that's that's that made me laugh. That was a good one. Um, we'll have to have reventure capital do the slides for you. Yeah. <laughs> There was a point where I would have loved to interview that guy just to figure out where his head's at. At this point, I have um, zero respect, so I don't, I don't even think I'd take that phone call. No, that was a great comment. I love it. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that it was a way to sneak in the name of the channel. We usually just say, that person that's so stupid, they say stuff, we're not going to give them credit. Yeah. Here's their name. Right. We often call him the guy that lives in his mom's basement. Mom's basement. There you go. He's the mom's basement. Whenever we make that inside joke, that's who we're talking about. That's the cheat code to stupidity. Yeah. We don't know if that's true. We just like to say it because it's our intern. It's our three jokes and yeah. it is what it is. Right. And for the defamation lawsuit, my name is Michael <laughs> Zuber. I said, I'm not saying any names. It's just, just Crimson Knight. I have a tenant upstairs who gets her rent from COVID relief money from, and then housing, and 850 until February. And H housing is willing to pay 18 months, but I want to raise to 1500. Don't want to kick her out, but don't know if NH housing will pay that much through what to do. I treat this like the housing authority. I use a version of my binder method. I find comps in the area that justify that rent by being that amount or higher. And I send it in an email to the housing authority. So I would send it to NH housing saying, this is what the tenant is currently, currently at. This is what the rent is going to. Making sure in your local area, you're complying with rental um, rent <clears throat> control laws. In an area like Washington, you're complying with um, notification to do any rent increase over 10%. In my counties, we have to give a 60 day notice. Um, how would you guys handle that? Matt? Being from New Hampshire, here's exactly how I would handle it. You, um, so Crimson Knight, what you need to do, if it, you can say below if she's under lease. If she's not under lease, you can just send her notice and that, it, that what her rent is going to. Um, and you don't have to justify anything. You can literally just say, this is what your rent is going to. Um, and that is actually one of the programs that is extremely in short supply of units. So I would contact, ask her who her contact is. I would call that contact and, um, likely in your market. Cause I, I know you've asked questions before you're actually light on 1500. It's you can, it's more expensive than that. Um, but that's what I would do. I've actually worked with that program. They are having trouble finding units. And so we've always been able to negotiate something favorable where I was able to allow the tenant to stay. If they weren't under lease and it was just a month to month, we were able to work on a number to say, I will agree to this amount for an 18 month period and allow her to stay. Hey, uh, retrainer. Wow, that's worth it. worse than Taxachusetts. Sorry, Lumberjack Landlord. Thanks for sharing. Live free or die. I think this is super important, guys. So I'll spend one minute on it. What's really important is, REI trainer, show me the last five deals that you've done and if they range between 20 and 43% return on capital. Because the taxes don't matter. It's all about understanding your state, your county, your area. It's understanding where, the, where you can create efficiencies in your market because it's all about return on capital. 
So while those taxes on that 12 unit are extremely high at $28,000, I was able to do a deal that will give me 43% return. So to me, I don't care how I get there unless it's illegal. I want to get there legally. But so long as I can get there legally, I don't care if it's way high in taxes, way high in water sewer prices. I take all of those numbers and I put them into the blender. And so long as I get the return on capital that I want, it's a deal. And that particular deal, $28,000 where the taxes are absolutely outrageous, I'm still printing money at a 43% clip. I'm going to literally make 100% of my money back in three years that I put into that deal. And I put $300,000 into that deal. Or. Yeah. Turn so on capital. Yield probably answers this next question too. Know thyself first. For those of us with properties in Texas, how much does inflation and higher taxes, how much does inflation and higher taxes going to affect us? Does not having income tax help us in short and long term? Mike? I, I have a bunch of people that bought in Texas and they were telling me to do that in 08 because, of course, investing in California is a horrible idea. Everybody says <laughs> all the time. Um, you have to watch property tax, especially if you are an investor, right? Because if you're an owner mm -hmm. in Texas, uh, you're not hit as hard. But if you're an investor, uh, your taxes are reset every year. And yes. like, dude, if you're in Austin, pucker up. Uh, you are about to get hammered. Yeah. And again, I do not invest in Texas, but many of my friends do. And rents are not keeping up with uh, tax raises. So people were, were, people were having positive yields and then now they're lower and lower and a couple of them went negative. So I don't like alligators. Oh. So I don't know what you bought. I don't know what the price points are. Um, I think tech, I think resetting property taxes uh, every year uh, was, it's the number one reason I never bought in Texas. Mike, most importantly, this is where people can learn something from your course. This is critical. It's the affordability index. Exactly. To Mike's point, people bought those houses in Austin at $200,000. Now that's a $450,000 house, but the taxes now are almost more than what the mortgage is. And yes. now it's an alligator. That's yes. what happens in states that don't have income tax, New Hampshire, Florida, Texas, this is what happens in those states. They got to get the money from somewhere. They get it from somewhere. And so the only thing that you have to make sure that you're doing is what they have created, though, is that that person has a $250,000 house. They've now owned for a few years. They probably owe two, or they bought it for $200. They can probably sell it for $450. And what should they be doing? Probably selling it for the $450, taking that money and getting into apartments, just like Mike transitioned, because the affordability index on single family homes in no income tax states are getting crushed right now. They're getting crushed right now. That's why I haven't bought a single family home that I wasn't flipping. I haven't bought a single family home in two or three years. That's why. There you go. Yeah, I've only got one single family home too. And I'm kind of on the fence of, you know, I'm doing the cash out refinance of looking at what it appraises at and possibly just selling it just because it's so high in value. I'm getting a great cash on cash return now i'm not getting a very good cash on equity return mm. so i'll adjust as we go and then crimson knight she has already told me she wants to die in the apartment sometimes i like to edit because sometimes i say something and then later i realize i probably don't want that in the video but i had a tenant tell me the same thing i purchased a duplex i've talked about it earlier in this live stream I, the rent was at 11 30 and i 
that was talking to the tenant and he was an older gentleman and he thought I was buying it and then going to move in. And I said, no, I, I actually don't plan on kicking you out. I, I'm buying this as an investment. And he said, good, because I plan on living here until I die. And he did. Mm-hmm. And that's when it went up to 1800. Um, so sometimes it's good to have a tenant, you know, is going to be in place for a while. Know thyself first. When is the right time in your ownership of property to do a cash out refinance? Of course, it's always a good day to buy a great deal. I know Mike has a good answer for this one. Yeah, so I think it's when um, you have a better return on capital, right? So I've done it a couple of different times. I first did it in 05, 06, or actually, no, first time I did it was 04. I did it badly. So don't take too much cash out and create an alligator. So you can do them wrong, which I did. Um, I've just done it recently. Uh, basically, when you have a plan for the capital, right? I don't, I don't like the idea of constantly going back. There's these people that say refi to your die kind of stuff. Uh, that's, not, that's not what I'm in. Um, I've gone through basically two cycles of cash out refinances, once in kind of 03 to 06, and then once 2020 and 21. Uh, so it's it's not something I do regularly, um, but it, it definitely comes around right, when the debt structure is right, uh, when the equity is there. Uh, but I'm not a guy that says, let's refi it every three years. That's not what I do. Matt? Agreed. Mike answered it perfectly. <laughs> okay. So mm-hmm. I get the question often of, you know, should I use a home equity line of credit or a refinance? And to me, the first question is always, you know, what's, what's the intended use of the cap? What, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Can you get a return that justifies it? Uh, so that's, that's when I know that it's right. Most of the people who watch our content are newer investors or they only have a couple of deals. And there are some people who have several and they, and, and they have information to share in our Facebook groups too. Mm-hmm. I took a poll on my, my channel one time, and I think 64% of the people watching had not done a deal yet. So we're always, I'm always trying to communicate to the person who's just starting out. So if you have a big portfolio and you have great cash flow, it makes sense to do what we're doing, where we're cashing out because of good interest rates, having cash sitting on the side, ready to pounce on a deal that comes up in the future. I would not do that in my first few years when I didn't have a, a good confidence in my expectation to get my return. I didn't have the cash flow to support mistakes. So in the beginning, I would only do it if I knew I had a deal to go for. Um, Yen, happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. You too. ML, seen some house hack properties with a pool. Should I fill it in with concrete or will that hurt value? Mike? So I can't talk about house hacking, never done it. Uh, however, I bought a couple of apartment buildings with pool. And one of the very, 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 very first things I did was crack the pool bottom and fill it in. There's only so many things I can control in life as a landlord. One of them is I'm not going to have somebody drowned on my property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did that on purpose. Now, house hacks, what's the plan? How long? Pools add value. I don't like if you're in Arizona or Vegas, you probably need a pool. If you're in other parts of the country, maybe not. So not a great idea, but uh, Michael Zuber will never own a rental with a pool ever, 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 ever. Matt? I'm with Mike on that one too. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't fill it with concrete. I'd probably fill it with dirt. Yeah. What you do is again, I had to pay it. There's a process, a tax, a fee. You have to break the bottom. The bottom's actually really shallow. The sides are really, anyways, yes. break the bottom, move in dirt, um, put in some gravel. And it's a whole process to fill in a pool. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically dirt. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't do it in concrete anymore. That'll cost you like 15 grand. <laughs> oh yeah, don't do it in concrete. Yeah, do it, do it with yeah, dirt, dirt and, and uh, stone dust and things like that. But yeah, there's there's ways to do it. But I agree with Mike. I, I wouldn't have a property. I just don't, I, I would not have a property, even a house hack that I had a pool just because people won't treat it the same way that I will. You know? And I will devil's advocate on this. Uh, I live in Washington. Hardly anybody has a pool, so it's not an issue here. But when I was looking at buying in Arizona, one of the things I wanted with yeah. my fourplex was a pool. Sure. And I would have made sure I had triple the amount of insurance that I needed. And it would have, I would have still been able to get my yield with higher insurance. Um, so area dependent, your risk tolerance dependent. Um, and do you want, I wanted a pool. Like it was going to be, I was going to be house hacking. So I was going to be living there in Arizona. I want a pool because I'm from Washington and I was going to probably die there. So Crimson Knight, she is not under lease. Okay. Con yeah. Contact, uh, find out who her contact is and call them and have that conversation with her. That's what I would do. You will get more than 1500 because there's a, there's a massive shortage. Cassidy has a question for me mm -hmm. with your binder strategy. How often do you use it on long-term tenants? Is it just go-to method whenever it is time to re renegotiate the lease? What about month to month? Um, so originally I developed the binder strategy for inherited tenants. When you buy a property and then they're usually below area markets. I normally did a 5% rent increase every other year. And from 2013 till 2020, that kept up with our rent increases here. 2020 and 21 rents are increasing over 20%. So in this year, I am using the binder strategy with all existing tenants. Um, about a month ago, I used it with three tenants. I had a $200 rent increase request. That's the smallest one, a 250 and a 310 on existing tenants. So 20 to 40% basically is what I'm seeing at tenant request. So if rents are going up quickly, I would use the binder strategy on any tenant. If rents are going up gradually, when I was doing the 5% every other year, I wouldn't use it. I would just say, hey, we didn't raise rents last year. This year, there's going to be a 5% bump. You know, things cost more. Never had a problem with that. Probably could have done more, probably could have done faster. But knowing that I have the binder strategy in the back of my mind to get rents where I need them and I don't have rent control, because one of the things most people don't consider with rent control is it forces the owner to the, to do the maximum allowable rent increase every year, or you fall behind and you lose your property value. <clears throat> so that's how that one works. And I don't do month to month leases. When I buy properties, I like month to month because it's my screening period to figure out if I like those tenants or not. After a couple of months and make, of making sure they pay rent on time, there's no noise complaints, they don't call me for super trivial things, then I'll renew. And I always want at least a year lease. Uh, often I'll go two years. Um, and that's part of the binder strategy is getting the tenant to request a longer lease because I don't want to have to do a rent increase next year or have this conversation again. Um, but if I had month to month, I could, you could use the binder strategy anytime, as long as you knew how much notification you need to give in your area. Angel, thank you. This format is great. I like it. Thanks, Matt, for putting this together. Appreciate it. <laughs> I have, I have a couple of zoom, whatever their highest level accounts is through my company. So if this is something we could set up again in the future. And it is. Sure. Josh, wanting to buy small multifamily in my area, Puget Sound, Washington. Small multis come on the MLS fairly infrequently and overpriced. Would it make sense to start marketing to those sellers? Matt. Yes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Without a doubt. 
And there's stuff like that in Mike's course. It's absolutely fantastic. But yes, absolutely, you should be marketing those people. Um, you're not going to get a ton of hits, but quite frankly, you couldn't afford as many hits as you're going to get. So, you know, you get one hit in a year and it makes sense to do it. It's all about them knowing. And the other opportunity too is, is that I'm sure there's some landlords there and you can do, you can use like a uh, prop stream to find out, you know, older landlords, people that have owned the place. And when I say older, I'm not talking about their age. I'm talking about the longevity of which they've owned the property. So 20 years, 30 years, 25 years, you know, if they've owned it for that long, they've seen a ton of appreciation. You can, you know, they might be in their, you know, 60s or 70s and saying, you know what, it's time to finally close this out. So absolutely be trying to find a way to get in front of those people and, you know, prop stream or services like that can certainly help you with that stuff. Sounds like you agree, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's in the course. Cause uh, I started doing it. Anything that I do, I add to the course. So prop stream, you can do searches, criteria, endless, you can do uh, postcards right from the application. Uh, my team uses it. That's why it's in the course. So there you go. Mike, how long have you been using PropStream? My guys have been using it at the hub in Fresno, which is that office building I own for about two and a half years. And how many deals do you think you found that way? So I, my personal portfolio, uh, so of the 58 flips I did, probably 23 or 24 came via that. I've added 10 units because of that. More importantly, the office has done over 100 deals because of it. Okay. Wow. And I'm not doing this on purpose, go. but to devil's advocate, Josh, I don't know your position or your bandwidth for real estate. I work full time, usually 50 to 60 hours a week, single parent with three kids, which I thought when they got over 18, it would take less time to parent them, but it doesn't. Yeah. And I'm super lazy. So all of my deals, I'm in the Puget Sound area right here with you, are from the MLS. I would ask, how are you searching? Multiple agents with multiple searches is what it takes for me to find the deals that I'm finding. And then are you studying the area average rents and setting your search at just below that because they're skyrocketing this year. I bought a duplex um, years ago for 298,000. My friend just closed a couple of days ago, right up the street, like six houses up for 555,000. And people would think, well, that duplex and your duplex, 298, 555, that's crazy. Why would she do that? Her return first year is better than my return first year because rents, you're looking at the whole picture. So in this area, you might be looking for prices based on last year's rents. You know, don't anticipate rents going up in the future, but figure out where they're at now and have multiple searches set up. I'm finding my deals. I found her, that deal for her um, on the MLS. Um, my deal that I closed on in May was on the MLS. And my two investor friends in this area here told me they never would have bought that place that I bought in May. The, the return was not good. And then I showed them what happened after the binder conversation and they both are upset that they didn't jump on the deal. So, yeah. And just one more, hopefully everybody knows this by now, but I retired financially free buying out of the MLS. No, I only did two yeah. deals for 15 years, not out of the MLS. I've only started direct mail because A, I got guys for that and B, I can afford the mailers. So definitely what I would not, if I was still traveling all over the world, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use mailers, but every day Saturday. So why not? Every day Saturday, right. <laughs> you could try something super simple, like looking for places that are for rent and calling to see if it's the owner or a property manager and if it's the owner saying you'd be interested in selling. So it could be a lot less cost intensive than doing yeah. full mailers and paying for searches and stuff. Sure. Rankin projects. Happy Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Josh, I got as far as buying a list from the list source, but I haven't started marketing yet. Cool. So if you spent the money to buy it, put the work into using it. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. 
Josh. Happy Thanksgiving to one rental family, by the way, to everybody. And I'm still going to call you retrainer, REI trainer. Matt corrected me finally after me saying it that way for every time I've said it on my channel for the past few months. This is impressive returns. That is impressive returns. Thanks for sharing Lumberjack. Crimson Knight, no sales tax. And also helps when you buy 8,700 of flooring from American Flooring tax-free, something to consider. Yeah, so state tax is a big impact too. Um, Washington has a, a, doesn't have an income tax, but it has a sales tax. Um, they tried to put in a corporate tax, um, but I think it got overturned off the check. Um, another one reason in my long, long list of reasons of not having an LLC. Georgie, happy Thanksgiving, amigos. In how many years do you typically like to get a return on your investment? Minute I'll let you guys one. answer because my my thought immediately went to that's that's not how I look at it. But Matt, it's return on capital. So it's like if I put you know a hundred thousand dollars into a deal, I expect to start getting paid back on my capital that first rent check. Yeah, how it goes. So how fast you return it? That's obviously based on there's things like the market and things like that, that it can be based on, but I'm only looking at one thing, which is rents. I'm not trying to figure out appreciation. I'm not even trying to figure out appreciation of rents because the last three years has nothing to do with what the next three years is going to look like. So I only care about one thing and that is my return on my capital. If I put a hundred thousand bucks in the deal month one, I make a thousand dollars and that continues to go up. And then year two, guess what? it probably goes up higher than that usually because rents for me in 20 plus years have only been flat. They've not, they've not gone down. Mm -hmm. Happy Thanksgiving person in the background that we can't see. No, yeah, it's probably Olivia. Olivia. Hi, Olivia. <laughs> yeah. They're saying hi, Olivia. They can't see you right now, but yeah. Yeah, it's fine. There's, you can't see you. It's fine. <laughs> the wonders the of live moment. television. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm really glad you asked that question, Georgie, because I postponed investing in real estate for 10 years because of something my brother said that oh. sounded very much like this question. My brother used to say, when I buy a property in 11 years, I get all my money back. I didn't realize he was talking on how long it took his return to match the total purchase price of the property. I'm looking at yield. I want in my market a 10% or better yield first year. So if I spend $100,000 to buy a property, I want $10,000 in profit the next year, that, that first year of owning it. When my brother was saying, it takes me 11 years to get my money back, I wasn't thinking he still had his money. Mm -hmm. It was just in the property instead of in the bank. He could do a home equity line of credit, okay. cash out refinance, he could sell, all that money was still his. Um, so I... 10 years, I thought that seems kind of stupid to invest in something to get your money back in 11 years because I've got my money now. Why would I give it to somebody else for 11 years? Uh, finally, my brain clicked on, oh, that's just how he's wording it, right? So for, for us, it sounds like all three of us, it's yield. Only metric that matters. That's it. Return on capital. We're coming up on two hours, gents. Are we calling it in four minutes? Um, yes. So this it'll go down to the last question is with Nathan. Yeah, we'll go to Nathan. Okay. So Matthew just recalculated my property tax increases. You're up 7%. Florida lost its dang mind. But a lot of people are moving there. So a lot of people are liking that those taxes. Yeah. 
Uh, don't even get you started on Florida insurance premiums. Yeah, insurance is the barrier in Florida because I've got a friend I'm trying to help invest there and one property next to another property. The flood insurance can be so astronomically different. It's $12,000 difference for one property to the next because one was built a year later and is, meets a certain code. Um, and so if you don't get really hyper-focused in that market, insurance can kill you in Florida. Mm. Um, Larry... Mike likes saying every day is Saturday. Appreciate you guys giving back. Every Thursday is Thanksgiving with three amigos. Nice. Yeah, Thursday is Thanksgiving. Like nice. <laughs> know thyself. What's the best way for a new investor to track accounts for your first four to five properties? Email me. I'll put my chat and my email in here again. I've got my spreadsheet that I use. I have so 16 rental units self-managed, one checking account, one savings account, one credit card that I pay off daily a spreadsheet with one tab for expenses paid off daily. So I never carry an account. When you go to run your credit, the day of the month that the credit agency runs, it can give you your credit utilization for that card. And since I work for a truck driving school, it can be $23,000 one day. So it's just paid off every day. I never carry a balance. Um, Right. right, So it, it can have a big impact and I have memory problems. I don't know if I've mentioned that. I think I have. Um, Sorry for the odd pun, but I've never missed a payment since I paid off daily. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That'd be hard to do. Hard to do. That's awesome. So I'm going to put my email in the chat. I will send my spreadsheet that is kindergarten simple uh, to anybody who asks for it. And if I share it with you and you have the knowledge and ability, share it in the uh, Three Amigos of Five Facebook group or the One Rental at a Time Facebook group. Thanks. Um, Yen, would you consider turning your prop, your primary residence into a rental property if cash flow makes sense or sell if it becomes double in price when you purchased it? Matt? Um, no, probably not. I would just sell it. I mean, if we... Uh, we we bought something very unique. It's probably our rest of life house. So we just bought something very unique. And so we wouldn't rent it out. Um, we're actually going to be going uh, bi-coastal where we're due time here and time somewhere else. So yeah, we're not going to, we're going to just basically leave it as is and just have somebody check in on that type of thing. And Mike? It depends on where you are, right? If you're if you're a big shot, have a 12,000 square foot house, probably doesn't make sense. You probably should sell that. Uh, <laughs> but you know if you're a first-time home buyer i mean i think it's a great way to get on the property ladder right if you're buying a bread and butter home that's you know again if you're buying a home below the median um there's lots of ways to extract equity other than selling it you got to do you have to realize that you do have income tax advantages by selling your primary residence mm-hmm. assuming you live there two out of the five years um you know you know so it, it's a deeper question it's hard to answer uh, but basically my answer is what, what's the plan, right? Was it, here's a, if, if your intention when you bought it was to make it a rental, then it becomes a rental. If you bought it and five years later, you found real estate investing, but now it's kind of in a very nice area. Cash flow is not great. You got a lot of equity, probably sell it, take the tax advantage and, and do something else. So probably most of them sell it. Yeah. Sorry, Ian, I'm, I'm an idiot. I took that literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in, yeah, I'm in that exact position, Yen. I own my single family house that I bought that was going to be my forever home and then turned it into a rental. 
math kind of tells me I should sell. It's gone up in value so much that I'm getting a good cash on cash return, but not a good cash on equity return. So I'm looking at doing a home ec- a cash out refinance. And I always like editing because I can, I never know if this is going to be something I would take out of the video or not, but I'm keeping that house because I kept it through a divorce and, and the sense of victory that I have that I collect a rent check on that house. <clears throat> yeah, see, I would take that out of the video. I wouldn't leave that <laughs> but if it appraises high enough during this refinance, I might consider selling. I mean, it just makes more sense to put the money to work. So we'll see. Yeah. Something we struggle with. Rob, thanks. Got to go. Nathan, good morning. Larry, good morning, Nathan. Larry, have any of you pursued marketing to potential seller financing candidates? Mm-hmm. What methods were used and any success? So Mike, you've done, you said 15 to 20 of those. So yeah, so uh, I, my team and I directly market to sellers. I put it out there, what, six, eight weeks ago that I was doing that. I'm spending $1,000 on a very fine list out of state, 10 years or more. Um, what was the other thing? I think equity below 50% LTV, something like that. Uh, so yeah, we've had plenty of conversations. Nobody's ready to bite yet, but uh, if you know anything about direct mail, it's not a one-time thing. It's like a drip campaign. Yes. Uh, but yes, um, for example, the last seller finance deal I did, I bought one of his houses three years ago. Uh, and then he called me up and said, I want to sell everything I have left. So I did 15 units uh, seller financing because of direct marketing. So yeah, it does work. It absolutely does work. You you got to remember you're not what, what most of these wholesalers and direct marketers get wrong and they get wrong in their message because I am an owner and I get hit daily with these things. Most people think they're marketing to sellers. Your marketing is not to sellers. You are marketing to an owner. The marketing is different. The language is different. Um, so that's my one word to advice. So my, my message to people is, hey, I'm an owner just like you. I bought, started here. My plan is to do this. If you happen to be, if your plan happens to match, we'd, I'd love to have a conversation. It's not get cash now. It's not all this other nonsense. All these wholesaler YouTube channels are doing you a disservice because you are not marketing to a seller. You are marketing to an owner who might be a seller. And the message is very different. And Matt? Yes, I concur. I, the way that it's just complete, it's a completely different message. Like Mike said, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's very much getting them to consider the option. But again, this is likely the first time they've heard this, uh, I guess, presented the way that a Mike or myself would present it because they are not, if they're doing sub two or if they're doing seller financing or anything like that, what's the most important thing they come away with that conversation feeling that they can trust you. Yeah. It's about you. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a about, relationship. It, exactly. It's like, is this going to be a fly by night guy? Is this guy going to be wicked over leveraged that I'm going to absolutely get torpedoed if this thing happens like that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's, that's where I think that's important. And then I'll take it a different way, not specifically marketing to seller financing, but with every single offer I'm making now on the MLS, I'm also submitting a seller financing option. So mm-hmm. my letter that I'm okay. sharing with people, if you email me, it literally says, these are all the reasons seller financing would work. This is why I want to do it. But if you're not okay with that, here's my offer for conventional lending. So it's just everything. And the, the first time I tried it about two months ago, I thought, oh, I'll just try this. It was accepted. And then, and then that deal fell apart because they had a mortgage that was just above what I could afford um, for the down payment. Because my down payment needs to include getting rid of whatever mortgage they have and taking care of agent fees. Because I still use an agent on seller financing. I want my agents yeah. to make money because then they bring me more deals. Absolutely. That's right. 
And we're almost to the last question here. Um, I think one more popped up after that, but we'll we'll see what we can get to. So, um, Nathan, question for all three of the amigos: What would you guys do if you did not do real estate? Just curious. And Mike, and and then there's Matt. So since let's start with uh, Matt. Um, I would probably just work my other job <laughs> because I still work. I still work full time. So I would just, I would continue. I'd stay in software and do that and be a, you know, software exec and just keep on doing that. I, but I, I enjoy what I get out of the real estate stuff. I don't think if I had to, if I had to start today and pick one, I mean, if I had money, I'd probably do real estate. If I didn't have money, I'd probably start with software. So. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm very good at taking an idea from nothing to something. I've repeatedly mm -hmm. taken products from zero to hundred million. That is a very high paid and high rewarding job. Mm -hmm. uh, I would, uh, I would just do that. I, I still like Matt, I still work my job. Love what we do. Get to run a truck driving school. I get to play in trucks like they're go-karts. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would change that. I would, I would find an investing strategy if real estate went away to where I could put money to work because we're all on that timeline of, I think with, with most asset classes within 10 years, we can make work optional. Absolutely. It, it might not be the 4% rule um, based on what I can make, but it would be some version of that. And then, so one last question here from JPF3, first time investor in California, not sure which way to go. Capital in hand debating San, single family or duplex. What well, I was going to say San Francisco. Single family or duplex. What would you do and why? Mike? Yield. I buy the highest yield every time. I don't care if it's a 500 square foot shoebox or a 20 unit apartment building. I buy the highest yield. I don't care about unit count. I don't care about unit count. I don't care about unit count. I buy the highest yield. Matt? Yield, return on capital every single time. That's what it's all about. It's not about potential appreciation. It's only about the return on capital because any of those other things can go sideways based on policy and return on capital largely cannot, or if it does, it's very slow that when that happens. Okay, I would break it down to your current situation. Look at yield, definitely. But duplexes, if you can use FHA loan, the 3.5% down is the same for duplex or single family. If you're not going to own or occupy, the single family might be easier to get lending on. Um, yeah, so I would, if you're, I would house hack either way. That, that would be my answer to, to get the better lending, especially if you don't have a lot of, you know, how much capital you have in hand. Um, I would yeah learn the yield in your area. In my area, my brain just says no single family because I've never in ten years I haven't seen one that cash flows. Like the one I own only cash flows because I bought it in two thousand. Like right. it wouldn't exactly. cash flow if somebody buys it now. Exactly. Cool. And then the last thing to cover. This isn't a question. It's just a comment, Matt. You said that I blew your mind when I talked about cash on equity. The reason to come to live streams and to be in the Facebook groups is because when conversations like this happen. We don't know what we need to learn. And until somebody just randomly says something and it clicks in our brain, that's going to be something that you can use going forward. So from all of us to all of you, happy Thanksgiving. Happy we'll Thanksgiving, see all. You. 
Happy Thanksgiving. See you next Thursday. Take care, guys. Bye.